The year was 1995. A man by the name of Brown Bannister brought together various Christian artists to create an album. The album title was based on the well-known devotional by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. One of the songs on that album was entitled, Shine on Us. It was drawn from the words that you heard in the psalm today. I want to just take a very nostalgic walk back and listen to just a short clip from that song. So if you'd play that, please. Makes you want to have big hair and a mullet, doesn't it? Love that electric piano back then. I want to look at this psalm in depth. I want to look at those verses. As we open and we begin, we see kind of the introduction in verse 1 that says, For the director of music, to the tune of the lilies of the covenant of Asaph, a psalm. I'm sure lilies of the covenant wasn't the tune to shine on us. But so you know who Asaph is in 1 Chronicles 16, 7. David appointed Asaph, it says, to give praise to the Lord. He wrote many psalms. He composed them with David, composed music to go with it. But I want to set the stage for this psalm so you understand what it is talking about. Israel was a nation of conquerors, was blessed by God, met and overcome all other nation by God's hands. But now they were a nation of captives, a nation in bondage. I want you to imagine for a moment, 80% of your family suddenly wiped out. Even if you didn't like them that much, it would still be a devastating thing to have happen. And the question you might ask is, are we next? Israel, the northern kingdom, had been carried away by Assyria. Ten tribes, they are gone forever. All that remains is Judah and Benjamin in the south and Jerusalem. That's the backdrop for this psalm. So I want to look at that. So they go on to say, hear us, shepherd of Israel, You who lead Joseph like a flock. You who sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh. Awaken your might. Come and save us. Judah, that southern kingdom, is imploring God, come and save us. They're bold in that prayer that the Lord must do that. 
God likes boldness in our prayers. Remember Jesus' example of a neighbor getting up in the middle of the night and going to a friend and knocking on the door to get some bread because they had a visitor. Do you remember what Jesus' words were about prayer in that? He said, shameless audacity. Because of their shameless audacity, they would get up and give He uses that as an example for us in prayer, our approach, that we should pray with shameless audacity. But Judah isn't just seeking intervention here. They are a child of the Father asking their Father, you must do this because of our relationship. You are not a God of idols. You are the living God, the one God, with all majesty and power enthroned between the cherubim. It's to you that we appeal. And you see those extra words in there of Ephraim and Manasseh. While Judah and Benjamin are the only tribes that remained intact, there were some remnants at that time in the southern kingdom of Ephraim and Manasseh. And they're appealing based on that. They're appealing based on descendants. They're saying these are the descendants of Jacob and Razel. This is the, this is the covenant, Lord. These are your people. How could this be? How could this happen? Only you, God, can save in this situation. And then there's a refrain that we hear three times that that song, Shine on Us, was based on. And each time we hear it, it's going to ratchet up just a little more on the identity of God. Here in this first one, it says, Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. This is not the bright, all-consuming light of God's glory that they're asking for. This is the blessing of God, the light of his blessing, the blessing of Aaron. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. What they're saying is, Lord, our very lives depend on this blessing from you. Without it, we will perish. And they go on then in this lament to talk about what has happened in verse 4 through 6. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. You see, in the midst of this, they're looking at what has happened to them, but they're missing the fact that this is the result of unfaithfulness. Prophet after prophet had come and proclaimed warnings to them of what would happen if they continued to turn away from God. They called them to repentance again and again. If you read Kings and Chronicles, king after king, Worship gods of other nations, sacrifice to them in spite of all the calls to turn back. There's a cycle that you see. Every once in a while, there would be a king who, the scriptures say, would follow like David, would serve God, would obey the covenant, and the people would be blessed. But then another king would come who would not follow, who would go back to idol worship. And there's a phrase that you see so often in the scriptures, and God would no longer go out with the armies, and disaster would come on them. This is their lament, and then again they bring that refrain in, restore us, and now they say, God Almighty, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. 
And in verses 8 through 13, they're going to talk about identity, who they are, reminding God of who they were and what God had done for them as a vine. Verse 8, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedar with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, it shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the field feed on it. You see, Lord, this is who we are, they're saying. This is who you made us. We are this vine. We are this great nation that you planted. Don't you remember? Why, Lord, have you allowed this to happen? Why is the question you see in verse 12. There's an answer in Scripture to that why, but it isn't in this psalm. It's found in Isaiah chapter 5, where God answers through the prophet in these words. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? God's answer to the question of why. Why? Because you were unfaithful. Why? Because I planted you there. Why? Because you didn't follow. I want to put a pin in that and move to the gospel for a minute to hear those words that Jesus speaks. You know, we know that in Scripture, Israel is pictured in that vineyard. They're pictured so often. Now, imagine then when the disciples heard these words of Jesus spoken to them in John's 15. Imagine their reaction, because the idea was that Israel thought they were that vine. They were the ones who had been planted. And Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You see, Jesus is telling his disciples, Israel was never the source. I am the source. Israel was only a branch that was planted. And they were only that as long as they remained attached to the word of God in the faith of Abraham. 
But they turned their back on all that. They lost their place, they lost their heritage, they lost their nation, and it wasn't because of one instance. They were called again and again and again to God's long-suffering and went their own way. Let's go back to the psalm, verse 14 through 16. So you can hear Israel plead again on that basis. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root that your hand has planted, the sun that you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Notice the same picture words there that Jesus used, thrown into the fire and burned. They want to appeal to God by saying, God, this is your investment. You don't just plant because of planting. You have purpose in what you've done. Lord, remember that purpose. Remember why you did this. In verse 17, they go on to say, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man that you have raised up for yourself. A picture of what was to come. You know, remember that Israel was this nation chosen by God. They're called his firstborn. They were chosen to demonstrate in the world God's power, God's mercy, God's faithfulness, God's love, what God had done. But they were a pale picture of what was to come. Jesus, the true fulfillment of that picture, would show that he alone was the one who would do the Father's will in all circumstances and be faithful. And they go on in verse 18 to say, then, if you do all these things, Lord, then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. You see, finally it takes them to that verse to admit and confess that they have turned away. They are guilty of forsaking God. And only God can intervene and save them because the sin is against him. And the psalm then finally ends in verse 19 with that refrain once more with that name of God being expanded. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And here in that last refrain, they add now the covenant name of God, Yahweh, Lord and plead for mercy. You know, this psalm is in that book that we talked about of the five different books of the psalms in the section that is the national psalms about the nation of Israel. I hear often some who want to draw a parallel to Israel and America. And it makes me shudder because we need to always remember in the scriptures there is only one nation that was ever chosen by God. And they lost their place forever. That was Israel. God's new creation, God's new nation is bought by water and the word. It is his church throughout the world. It is a nation of every race and tribe and kindred as we see in Revelation. Israel took for granted their place, their calling, and their heritage, and they turned away from God again and again. And when they turned from God, they turned from the living word, from Jesus Christ. And they lost their place. And we as Jesus' church must never take for granted 
our calling in this world. For we have been purchased and redeemed by his own blood. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, but we are called to serve him, to make his gospel known, to keep his word, to show his love, to forgive sins, to proclaim his cross and resurrection. You see, that's the true song of the redeemed, the song that sings of the light of Jesus' faith, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. The light that has come into this world that the darkness cannot overcome. And we sing that that light would shine in us, reflected of him, and shine in the world. Shine through his word, shine through his people that all may hear and be saved. Will you pray with me? Lord, let the light of your face shine on us. We too have been unfaithful, but in your unfailing love, you have called us back to repentance. You have shown us the cross where our sin was paid for. You have shown us the depth of your love. May we never in arrogance think that we are the center of your church, but remember that you alone are our head. It is your church bought by your blood. May we ever be faithful in serving you. May we proclaim your light and your love to the world that all may hear and all may be saved. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.